Thank you so much, choir. Let's give God some praise for the choir once again. Would you join me this morning in the book of the Song of Solomon, chapter 1? Song of Solomon, chapter 1. And I want to read verses 5 through 11. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. I want to read from the New International Version slash NIV. Word of the Lord. Dark am I, yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyard. My own vineyard I have neglected. Tell me, you whom I love, where you gaze or graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? If you do not know my most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherd. I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewel. We will make you earrings of gold stud with silver. Amen. You may be seated. Let me take liberty to read the same passage again in the translation of the Eugene Peterson's The Message Bible, uh, which I hope brings a bit more contemporary clarity. I am weathered but still elegant, O oh dear sisters in Jerusalem, weathered darkened like Kedar desert tents, time softened like Solomon's temple hangings. Don't look down on me because I'm dark, darkened by the sun's harsh rays. My brothers ridiculed me and sent me to work in the fields. They made me care for the face of the earth, but I had no time to care for my own face. Tell me where you're working. I love you so much. Tell me where you're tending your flock, where you let them rest at noontime. Why should I be one left out, outside the orbit of your tender care? If you can't find me, loveliest of all women, it's all right. Stay with your flock. Lead your lambs to good pastures and stay with your shepherd's neighbors. You remind me of Pharaoh's well-groomed and sainty mares. Pendant earrings line the elegance of your cheeks. 
Strands of jewels illuminate the curve of your throat. I'm making jewelry for you, gold and silver jewelry that will mark and accent your beauty. Amen. Keep in mind when we deal with the text from the Song of Solomon, we're dealing with poetry. We're dealing with metaphorical language. We're dealing with imagery. So although arguably one may not find this as a literal expression of an experience, yet metaphorically the intention is to paint the picture of not only a love ingrained between two persons, but to expose us to the details of how interestingly and yet intimate it can be to be loved by someone who loves you in response to the same love to which you give. It may be spiritually likewise admonished that we can see the love of Christ for his bride, the church, in the same context, and yet still examine the naturalness of what the text, I really believe, is trying to admonish. So I approach the reading, particularly of verse five this morning, from the angle of a question. And my question grows out of the request by the woman the maiden, the one who is being loved, and the one who has been captivated by the man to which she not only has imagined in her mind, but also has encountered some of that special attention to which she desired. In the previous four verses, she told us and talked to us about him, about the magnetism of his presence, about the magnetism of his personality, and now she shifts the scene to talk to us about herself, to tell us what is happening in the midst of her current standing. And so when we read verse five, Look closely and listen attentively. As the question I raise comes from the request of the woman who asks not to be seen in her current blackness. Her complexion has been, says verse five and six, darkened by the kissing rays of the sun. And yet, she raises attention to the conversation for the modern man and woman, 21st century, about the issue of dark skin. She presses us to deal with the ongoing struggle of color darkness. And so when I read this, 
my mind ran back. Five years ago, I often purchased books, not necessarily about what I've heard about the book, but if I'm in the store perusing the shelf, a title may grab me, and I'll purchase the book just because of the title, and there's no guarantee that I'm going to read it immediately, but I, you know, my family often asks, why do you have so many books? Well, books to me are like tools. You have them, and you may never use them but one time. But when that moment comes in which that particular tool is needed, I already have it, and I don't have to go looking for it. In this case, five years ago, I purchased a book entitled The Dark Center, The Process Theology of Blackness. And at the time, just the whole idea of trying to figure out what in the world could this author be talking about in reference to blackness. Well, to my learning, he used to be, he's deceased now, used to be professor of philosophy at the University of the District of Columbia. And in writing, he wrote in the 70s at the height, of course, of racial discrimination and the post-civil rights movement, but his interest came when he began reading about an old philosopher who identified in the Christian writing the usage of color, black and white. How the writer says that if you read scripture closely, not with a spiritual eye, but if you read it with a natural eye, you'll notice that as scholars commentate for us over the centuries, they equate blackness to darkness, to evil, to sin, to degradation, to a curse. They equate whiteness to heaven, to righteousness, to truth, to justice. And then he traces through scripture, how the writers intentionally gave a particular view of scripture to substantiate using religion to approve of racial discrimination. Then he argues, now let me take you back through scripture and show you how whiteness also has reference to darkness. And he talks about how when you read the issue of leprosy, leprosy's outward appearance always ends in whiteness. Then he says, blackness yet is not always evil, but if you read the scripture closely, it's amazing how God used the darkness of the night to bring about deliverance for God's people in many occasions. He says, I want to highlight, he says, two points. He says, number one, if you notice, the Passover didn't happen time, but it happened in the darkness of the night. Then he says, if that's not good enough for you, the crucifixion, it may have happened in the daytime, 
but the resurrection came in the darkness of the morning. In other words, he's trying to help us realize that you can't believe everything that folk write about scripture who has an agenda. And the agenda is to substantiate a particular manner in which they want people to receive scripture so that it can justify the status quo. And this sister says to the man whom she has come in contact with who makes her life, her life so exciting, she says, do me a favor, do not look at me on my darkness. Don't look at me just because of my color. Although I have been kissed by the sun itself, which has made me as dark as I am. I am more than what you see on the outside, but there's a greater individual on the inside. She says in verse 5, don't look on me. I am dark, yet I'm lovely. And I want to have a suspicious feeling that she is looking at the other sisters who have gathered around and here's our contrast or here's our tension in the text. I argue between, watch this, light-skinned and dark-skinned. Uh, she's looking at the women who are also standing around in the palace, in the temple, who are looking perhaps on her with a bit of disgust or with a bit of jealousy or with a bit of concern wondering how can this dark chocolate individual who's been kissed by the sun can really believe that the king is interested in her darkness and not in our lightness. Here's the tension in the text. Read it closely. Verse 5, she says, dark I am, lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Look, she says, I'm so dark, I am dark like the tents of Kedar. And the tents of Kedar were made of dark goat skins that have been dyed. And she says, yep, I'm just as black as black can be, but I'm fine. She is helping us understand that you have to address the issue of dark skinness, not with everybody else, but with yourself. She says to us, on one hand, do you see what I see? And then on the other hand, she raises the question to her lover, do you see what I see? But the lover responds by saying, no, do you see what I see? Watch this. She says, don't stare at me, verse 6, because I'm dark, because I've been darkened by the sun. And watch this. Even my mother's son, arguably stepchildren, who could not handle my darkness or who suggested that my darkness made me less than others who were light. You didn't catch that. Let me say it again for you. Who suggested my darkness made me less than those who were light. There was a suggestion there of a superiority over an inferiority 
by one group over another in which she says, my brothers have relegated me to serve in the field to take care of their own vineyards. Now in the text, the word venue throughout the Song of Solomon has two meanings. On one hand, it will mean a literal vineyard where grapes are growing. But on the other hand, it has reference, and we'll see later, to the physical female body. And let's just say there's a suggestion right here in this text that she's saying they've sent me out to take care of their physical vineyard. But look at the text. But I have neglected my own vineyard. I don't think she owns a vineyard because her status suggests that she is one of low income, so she probably doesn't own one, but yet her vineyard has reference to her own body. And maybe she's suggesting that I spend so much time helping someone else look good that I miss out on taking care of my own self that I might look good. All because my skin is dark and I want to know my lover do you see me not just because of the darkness of my skin but can you look beyond what the sun has done and see the internal light that comes out of me not just the darkness of the skin to which the sun has burnt but I am more in the words of Ndiari I am more than my hair And I think she's trying to raise for us to all the sisters, you got to stop looking at others to give you affirmation and approval of who you are, but you got to look at yourself. In other words, she suggests stop spending all your time trying to make somebody else beautiful and take some moments to make yourself look beautiful because can't nobody look as good as you can make your own self look. So she raised for us the consciousness and says to the dark-skinned sister, don't you let somebody who's light-skinned overwhelm you to the point where you think you're not as equal or you don't live up to the same expectation that they have. In your darkness, you ought to be standing to let everybody know I might be dark on the outside, but I'm just as bright on the inside. So she asked the question, do you see what I see? And so my author, my author, Professor Balthasar, says this to us about how scholars have utilized color symbolism to teach in Christianity the inferiority of blackness and the superiority of whiteness. He says, I quote, Western color symbolism permeates all Western language, both sacred and profane. And yet, as Howard Thurman has noted, the identification of blackness with evil, with the ominous, the destructive, the terrifying, and all through the language, both sacred and profane, black magic is evil, Black crime is evil, but he says, notice we say, a white lie is acceptable. See, that programming of our mind to instantaneously believe that what is 
is cursed. And yet what is light or what it, and I can tell you about the likeness of the light-skinned African-American and the dark-skinned African-American, says Willie Lynch on the banks of the James River, here's what you do. You pitch the two against each other, and if you hold that ground to teach one to hate the other, one hates whose light skin hates the dark skin, and the dark skin hates the light skin, and one will gain the advantage of the other, but most importantly, you will have them always at war and I know it's true because even in our fraternities and sororities we got issues with dark skin and light skin not remembering the objective of being a part of the organization is to create unity among us but we done got caught up in someone else's suggestion that if you dark you must be back and if you are light you must be in front only to recognize that's a self-destructive ideology that we've allowed ourselves to embrace and this sister says don't do it she says don't do it she says don't define me by my color but by something more telling my character and was that not the dream of Martin King that one day I hope that my children would not be defined but by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And in the same context of religion, we have the same struggle of darkness and light, the dark skinnedness of who we are. So she is ravaging to us with the question. And then what's amazing is, on the one hand, she speaks strongly of her blackness. But then on the other hand, she asks us, don't look at me in my blackness. What's troubled me? Wait a minute. Don't, don't push me over here with inspiration. Then you snatch me back with frustration. She says, don't look at me in my darkness. As the NIV says, better, don't stare at me. That might be the suggestion that as people looked upon her, they were looking upon her not because of her physicality in terms of her assets, but her darkness. And I came by to tell every dark sister in the house this morning, thanks be to God, you ought to be shouting that your skin is as dark as Kibar, and you ought to be happy that who you are because the color of your skin does not define you. There it is. Then she shifts and says to us in the text in verse 7, she says to her man, and amazingly, tell me where you feed your sheep. T tell me where do you, you carry your animals and where do you rest them at at noonday. Now remember I told you this is poetry, and by it being poetry, it's metaphorical. Now watch this, because here's what she's suggesting. She uses another line here, if you go down a little further, where she says, uh, uh, no, uh, yeah, where she says in verse 7, why should I be like a veiled woman? And then the next line says, beside the flocks 
of your friends. Now you might say, what in the world does that mean? Here's what it means. They knew in their own culture that a veiled woman suggested that she was a prostitute. And her thing is, why, if I am your queen, why do I have to wonder where you are? And why do I have to wonder how you see me? Now watch this because here's, here's a critical thing. Sisters, once again, I'm back to my relational thing. If you got a brother who can't affirm you in where you are, now listen to what she says. She says, why do I have to act like a prostitute? Why do I have to veil my face? Veil means nobody can see who I am. But that's what prostitutes do because a part of their job is to be veiled where nobody will know exactly what they are or who they are in what they are doing. And she's saying, why do I have to veil myself if I can walk alongside you? And if I know where you feed your flock and where you rest at noonday and you will not be ashamed to be seen with me now let me translate that for you if you got to always go to his house or if y'all got to always meet over here or no no let's take your car we, we don't want to take my car you might want to re-examine how that brother feels about you because she's arguing that if I am who you say I am, your queen, if I am as important as you say that I am, I want you to tell me where you are so that wherever you are, I can find myself there as well. She says to us that if you are in your blackness, you as the reader of this text should challenge yourself to appreciate the appearance of who you are. Because if you don't, then nobody else will. Have you ever noticed that uh, we become eventually, let's say we meet someone and we become friends with them, and let's say they don't dress in the manner to which we think they ought to dress, but over time we come to appreciate who they are in their both appearance and in their personality, and eventually appearance doesn't mean much anymore because we move from the exterior and we started to concentrate and to recognize the person in the interior and the exterior doesn't mean a lot anymore and what she's suggesting is if you allow people to define you how you look merely on the outside then you will only be an object to people's minds and she was saying don't look at me because of my skin you then reduce me to I, that's what my brothers did she said they reduce me to nothing more than an object. Don't stare at me, but look beyond that and see the bigger me. I am lovely, she says in verse 5. There's an attractiveness in me. How much do you see yourself as attractive? Because self affirmation is critical. I know about the love, five love languages. You need someone else 
to say a word of affirmation. But wait a minute, if you can't affirm yourself, you might have a hard time getting someone else to affirm who you are. And she makes it clear, oh, I know who I am in all my blackness. One thing I am not is someone else's cheap thrill. That's what she meant about, I'm not going to be a veiled woman. I'm going to be your woman, publicly, proudly declaring who I am and who we are. And as she raises that, notice the response of her man. Look at verse 9, or verse 8, if you will. He says, remember, her question to him is, Metaphorically from me, do you, do you, do you see me? Do you see me like I see myself? Do you see what I see? His response, I really believe, in verse 8 is, no, no, do you see what I see? Look at the language. You, if you don't know, if you don't know, baby girl, let me tell you, you are the most beautiful of all. Uh, music. I'll love you when your hair turns gray. I'll love you even if you gain a little weight. The way I feel for you will always be the same, just as long as your love don't change. I was meant for you, and you were meant for me, and I'll make sure that's the way it's going to be. The way it is, the way it's always going to be, just as long as your love don't change. I'm not impressed by them girls. What is it? I'm not impressed by the girls on the TV or magazines, but honestly, I believe your beauty is way more than skin deep. Everything about you makes me feel I have the greatest gift in the world. And even when you get on my last nerve, I couldn't see myself being with another girl. There it is right there. That's what he said. That, that, that's, that's, what he, that's what he said. He said, I don't know. If you don't know, let me tell you. You are the most beautiful. And girlfriend, if he can't tell you the finest something I ever seen in my life, you are the center of my joy. Get your mind out of spirituality. We ain't talking about Jesus right now. We talking about you being the center of his joy in the sense of that's my boo. You need to find you another somebody else. Look what he says. He, he says, if you don't know who you are, let me tell you who you are. You the finest of all. In fact, I ain't got to be there, baby. Just follow my trail. There it is right here. Look what he's saying. Follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherd. Wherever you find a tent, that's me. Just follow my trail, baby, everywhere I go. I'm going to leave some residue for you so you know I've been there. Do you see what I see? And then look what he says. 
Here he comes using his metaphorical language, verse 9. I liken you, my darling, to a mare harness to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Now, remember what I told you. What are we reading? Poetry. What is poetry? Metaphor. What is he saying? The best of the best only pull Pharaoh's chariots. And I see the Clydesdales, I, I, I see the stallions who are strong, but most importantly, who are beautiful, pulling the grandest of the grandest. That's the way I see you, baby girl. The finest, that finest can be. I see you just like that. Look what he says. He says, I see you in such that you are, and then he says, your cheeks. Now, I tried my best. I tried my best. And I couldn't figure it out in the Hebrew. What cheeks was he referring to? I just could not figure out which ones. Because I got to thinking this way. I don't know many people who put earrings on their cheeks, on the face, period. And I sure don't know nobody who put earrings on the cheeks in terms of the rear posterior. So I couldn't figure out what in the world. Metaphor. Metaphor. Here's the metaphor. When I see you coming, I see nothing but glory. See that? See that? that that's, what he, that's the message he's sending to her. When I see you coming, oh my, it just drives me crazy. And how, how do I know that? I, I, I found a commentator who gave us a real clear description of this. Professor Bergman says that in this same incident, it's the tantalizing presence of the mayor who was able to throw those other well-disciplined horses into confusion and disarray. And if you've ever seen a Clydesdale walk with such austereness and pride and those knees going up and down, but all of the other mares can't keep step like that, nor do they look as well. Here's what Professor Bergman said. The metaphor implies that her charm are able to unsettle even the most disciplined of men. Uh, now, there is the arising of the eroticism in the text. And here's what it suggests. This is not for uh, immature. This is for the grown folk right here. So watch this. It suggests that when she walks by, heads spin. We're talking about... A, Supposedly, social status-wise, low-class, dark-skinned individual who is taking care of everybody else but herself. And yet, her prince, her king, rather, says, when I see you, I not only see glory, but when you walk by, you stun those who look upon you, who not only see your beauty in your darkness, but who see something that is extremely impressive about you. Her mere presence can cause them to lose control of themselves. The woman has here that kind of effect on her lover. 
when he sees her. Here's what he's saying. When I see you, I just lose all sense of rationality. I, 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 I lost my mind. All I want to be is wherever you are. That's the kind of love that this text is suggesting. And it's the same kind of expression that Jesus gave for his bride. I'm spiritualizing now. Uh, when we were yet without strength, says Romans 5, Christ died. See, and in that dying moment, he was willing to take on a moment of ugliness that we might in return depict a moment of beauty. And what the text is saying to us is when we talk about relational wise, when he sees her, all he wants to do is be connected next to her because she brings all of that austereness and that beauty that causes him to lose his natural bone control. Talking about a woman with power, she ain't got no office. She ain't got no money. Watch this, but it substantiates the idea that beauty is a psychology. So just because someone tells you you're beautiful doesn't really mean that you're beautiful. Only you can substantiate if you're really beautiful or not. It's how you think. Let's go back to Proverbs 19. As a man thinketh, so is he. And this is an issue, she says. I want to raise this issue of self-awareness and self-esteem and self-affirmation. You have got to learn to talk to yourself and tell yourself how beautiful you are so that when you look in the mirror every single day, you say to yourself, man, I'm fine. You can use another word if you want to, but whatever it is, I am good looking. And you march out as if there's nobody else in the world but you. You've got to believe that. You have got to believe that. And some people will think it's narcissistic. Some people will think you're all into yourself. I've heard it all. I've heard it all. But I'm a believer that you've got to tell yourself what you want yourself to believe. It's just that simple. And here she is, she tells us that, she says, and he says, you are so beautiful that I am going to adore your neck with strings of jewelry. Now, I'm not going to give you all the secrets of a brother in this, in this text here, sisters. I ain't telling all our business. But here's something that'll help you out. Uh, when you believe in you and when you knows who you are, a brother man can just walk into the store and just because adore you with something special. It doesn't have to be your birthday, it doesn't have to be anniversary, uh, doesn't have to be Mother's Day, doesn't have to be Valentine's Day, but just because that looks like you and you are that gorgeous, I just want to give it to you because I knew it would look good. I can see you in it. I think every sister in this room will tell you, can you give me something without me, A, telling you that my anniversary or that my birthday or that a particular time is coming up, and B, without me going out picking it out for myself. But can you just go there and see me in whatever it is that you see? 
I, I mean, can I, can I get a sister around here somewhere? Somewhere. I mean, a sister wants to know, do you think about me more than just on these certain days? I sent Miss Murphy a text. What's the day, Sunday? Must have been Tuesday. I said, babe, I just want to tell you I love you because you're the bomb. You're the greatest woman I've ever met in my life. And I just want you to know I think about you, I'm thinking about you right now and I think about you all the time. And I know that my life would be totally different if you had never stepped into my presence on September 25th, 1982. My life would be totally different. But you know what? I'm so glad you are a part of who I am. And I just want to tell you I love you. Now, why is that important? Well, uh, Love language, everybody needs a little affirmation from somebody else sometimes, but I already know Miss Murphy knows as good as she is and as fine as she is, she's all right with me. But when I come along and affirm her, it just puts the icing on the cake. And Jesus did the same when not only he died on the cross, but he went to glory. And then he said, I love you so much and I ain't going to leave you alone. I'm going to send back the comforter. And he can live on the inside of you. And he will reside in you. And he will lead you and guide you into all truth. Sometimes I got to make a decision and Miss Murphy ain't there. But I can hear Miss Murphy whirling in my mind. You might not want to do that, baby. You might want to think about that again, baby. No, that's good. Go ahead and do that, baby. It's because her presence lives in me. And my presence lives in her. And this is what happens when you walk hand in hand. And when you recognize the bone of your bone and the flesh of your flesh. Flesh. But look at this text. It says that I'm going to adore your neck with all of the jewels that I can. I still believe that diamonds is a girl's best friend. Oh, I forgot. Spiritual. Buy her a Bible, brother, and help her out. Maybe a Bible will do her some good. But how many sisters would like to, just to come home with four or five carrots, just to tell me you love me that much? Is that, is that way out in left field somewhere? Is that all right? <laughs> or take me on a cruise just because. Or take me to Rome just because you want to see me in the Italian italics. That's what he said in this text. And look at what he says finally in verse 11. We will make you earrings of gold stud with silver. That just means, baby, I'm going to bless you with all I got to bless you with. And when all is said and done, it may not be enough. But whatever you want, just tell me what it is. I'm going to make it happen. But didn't Jesus do the same thing? Whatsoever you ask in my name, it shall be granted. So this text was reminding us of two things. One, please, please don't allow your dark skin to define you. And secondly, don't let other people insult you because of your dark skin. But instead... Ask yourself the question, 
do you see what I see? And this brother was saying, baby, I see beauty, not a burden of darkness. I see glory, not grim, but I see the most beautiful girl in the world that means that much to me. And brothers, go home. Go home and tell girlfriend, today I got a new vision of you. I see you different now. Sisters, help him out. Remind him of how valuable you are to his life. Now, I know once I say, if he don't see it, he ain't seen it in this 50 years, he ain't going to ever see it. Help him out. Help him out because men are visual. Remember, men are visual. Remember, men are visual. Remember, men are visual. Remember, not emotional. Although we do express emotions, but not the way that women do. Men are visual. Men are visual. I'm just trying to drive that, home, drive that point home to you, sister. Men are visual. Use your adult mind sometimes. And might I remind you that doesn't always meaning sexual intercourse. It sometimes just means the allurement of my own beauty. Okay, that's a little deep, so let me move on to the next subject. So he closes her, he closes his conversation, at least in this moment, by talking about adoring her with gold and silver. Maybe he's also saying that I'm going to give you the best that I can give you in life. And listen to me, if your best ain't nothing but a tent, as long as there is genuine love and care for that woman, I believe that woman will hang out with you in that tent. Now, she may have an aspiration for something more than a tent. But I'm going to tell you how I know that's true. Sisters who hang out with brothers through the worst of times until the life transitions to a better mint of times. She's still there. She's still there. And brothers, I hear, here's something to remind you of. Just think about how many times she could have walked away and never did. How much they tolerate from us. You ever think about how many crazy mistakes and decisions we made that risked the whole family? She stood in the gap. That's why you must see her in a different light in a light of illumination, in a light of beauty, and affirm in her, baby, I love you just the way you are, because you're all I ever needed. Lord, bless now the word that gives us life and gives it to us more abundantly.